How many left-handed defensemen do the Vegas Golden Knights have? And why am I even asking this? And no, that can't be the right answer. Double checks roster. Triple checks roster. Against multiple sources. This still can't be right. Vegas plays an entire top four of all left-handed defensemen. And their bottom pair based on ice time could actually be all left-handed too? Someone made a mistake, right? And they picked up left defenseman Alex Martinez from LA at the deadline. I've absolutely never seen a defense so disproportionately put together at the NHL level. Like ever. Vegas, right? What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, right? There is still a lot left to say about this. Welcome to Central Division Hockey, the podcast, and our Western Conference Round Robin Preview. Leave Vegas. Welcome to another edition of Central Division Hockey Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Bigelow. The NHL's return to play plan now headed into the third week of training camp for the expanded 24 team around Robin and playing round has created a unique scenario for all the teams in the Central Division, a once in a lifetime playoff tournament that they have all qualified for. To get you up to speed, each conference qualified 12 teams rather than using a points percentage system when the regular season was postponed and then cancelled. So that if the tournament can be completed, they will, the NHL, award the Stanley Cup in this calendar year. Based on the points, the top four in each conference avoided a play-in series, but instead will play a round-robin tournament to determine seeding for the next round when the best of seven series will start. Three Central Division teams qualified for the round robin, St. Louis, Colorado, and Dallas, along with Vegas from the Pacific Division. Those teams will be joined by four from the 18 best three of five play-in round in round two. What uniquely happened is the four other Central Division teams, Nashville, Winnipeg, Minnesota, and Chicago, ended up with matchups versus a Pacific Division team, not against each other. It is possible, if all the Central Division teams win their play-in qualifying rounds, they would join the three Central Division teams already guaranteed to be in round two. If you haven't figured out where I'm going with all this, I'll try and sum it up. In a traditional eight-team Western Conference playoff stage, 
it would be impossible for all seven Central Division teams to be playing for the Stanley Cup. However, under the current structure, it's maybe one year where seven Central Division teams join one Pacific team for the final eight of a Western Conference championship. This podcast, I look at the four top seeds that will be playing in the round robin, yes, including Vegas, because let's face it, how they do against St. Louis, Colorado, and Dallas affects the seeding. I mentioned teams have begun tournament training camps in their respective cities. On July 26, the teams all head to Edmonton, the hub city chosen for the Western Conference games to be played. Teams will each get an exhibition game between July 28th and July 30th. In this podcast, we'll tell you who teams play their exhibition games against, as that has been released by the league prior to this podcast. For the actual round robin itself, and the best of five Stanley Cup qualifiers, that schedule begins August 1st in Edmonton. The round robin scheduled first game is on August 2nd. Here's the order of the round robin. Sunday, August 2nd, St. Louis will play Colorado at 5.30. Monday, August 3rd, Dallas will play Vegas at 5.30. And on Wednesday, August 5th, Colorado will play Dallas at 5.30. The last three games are on Thursday, August 6th, Vegas versus St. Louis. Saturday, August 8th, Vegas versus Colorado. And finally, Sunday, August 9th, Dallas versus St. Louis. Those times of the first three games were in Central Standard Time. Because the other teams are playing um, play-in three of five series, that's why there isn't times scheduled yet for those last three games in the round robin, as that will probably be determined by the amount of teams that need a game four and five and ones that maybe won't need games four and five if there's any sweeps in the play-in series. For the preview podcast, I'm going team by team starting positionally with the goaltending in the round robin portion. I'll make note again, because none of these teams can be eliminated and all advance to round two, a team doesn't have to play just one goalie during the round robin. That said, great goaltending has always been a key ingredient to a team winning the Stanley Cup. A team doesn't do it in the modern era without it. It's no surprise as I settle to look at the top four of St. Louis, Colorado, Vegas, and Dallas, those teams had great goaltending this season, and every single one of them, those teams actually had two goalies that an argument can be made for getting to play. It occurred to me, and Colorado coach Jared Bednar, for his team, is on record as being of the same mind as mine, given the exhibition game and three round robin games these four teams play, it's possible to split the games between his top two goalies, then decide who to go with for round two. Bettner has said he is going to do it that way, and I like the decision. But I felt each of these teams actually should do the same goaltender strategy. All of them have two goalies after a long layoff that played well, and I think I will be more surprised if any of these teams only go with one goaltender through this round robin instead of doing what seems like a logical split and the regular season numbers that we're going to go through for all the teams in the round robin and their goaltending are more than capable of deploying this and remaining competitive in those round robin games. 
I also, in future podcasts, as we get into the play-in series teams that will be facing elimination, wouldn't go with the two-boy setup. But the teams in the round robin, all of them, totally would. As this podcast is the teams in the round robin portion, we'll start going in-depth with the St. Louis Blues, the defending Stanley Cup champions first, and they also had the highest point when play was stopped back in March. But we'll go through each team positionally and then look at some key team stats as we get closer to the end of the preview. Goaltending in St. Louis had Jordan Bennington with a 2.56 goals against average, a .912 save percentage. He played 50 games, went 30-13-7, had three shutouts, 126 goals against. Jake Allen is backup at a 2.15 goals against average and a .927 save percentage. 24 games played, and he went 12-6-3, had two shutouts, and allowed 48 goals against. So in half the workload, Jake Allen put up better numbers than the starter Jordan Bennington. I fully expect St. Louis will go with Jordan Bennington when round two starts. Yet coach Craig Berube has every opportunity to let his goalies both see action through the round robin. I remember during the season how insightful St. Louis analyst and former NHL goalkeeper Darren Pang made note of how Bennington was on pace to ellipse his workload comparable to any other season. Would an overworkload have come into play? That remains unknown given the regular season pause. So the theory stays untested. And is there any other reason why the Blues wouldn't ride Bennington through the playoffs unless his play falters? Probably not. It's also not an issue to play both during the round robin. And as like all the teams in the round robin, the Blues have two very capable goalies. I hope they decide to do a two-game split and net as well. In Colorado, Philip Grubauer had a 2.63 goals against average and a .916 save percentage, played 36 games, went 18-12-4, had two shutouts, and allowed 90 goals against. His backup, Pravel Francos, had a 2.41 goals against average and a .923 save percentage. He played 34 games and went 21-7-4, had one shutout, and allowed 77 goals against. I've already said, Coach Bednar confirmed, he is planning to split his goalies games, and when you look at the numbers of the pair, and that Grubauer and Francos nearly played the identical number of games, and how close their stats are, I think Bednar is smart to see if one of the two is sharper coming out of this pause. I'm not sure if I had to pick one over the other, I'd know which one to take or who I would go with. But I like to see how both look in the round robin. Fran Coase, as a backup, actually posted a better goals against average and save percentage than Grubauer. But to be clear, Grubauer has always been considered the starter. This is a situation where unless Fran Coase plays exceptionally better in the round robin, Bender would give first opportunity in round two to Grubauer between the pipes. I'm also pretty sure 
with the two teams remaining in the round-robin format, you will see why it makes sense for all the teams to employ a two-goalie split in games. The third team we're going to talk about, and that is Vegas. Marc-Andre Fleury, a 2.77 goals against average and a .905 save percentage, 49 games played, was 27-16-5 record, five shutouts, and 133 goals against. Robin Leonard had a 2.89 goals against average this year and a .920 save percentage with 36 games played, 19-10-5, one shutout, and 99 goals against. It could be one deadline deal, the one that brought Leonard to Vegas from Chicago for Malcolm Stuban, that could impact the playoffs completely. If Flurry goes the distance, it may have zero impact as well. Two things worth noting, however, is firstly, Leonard's numbers from the year are primarily in front of a Chicago defense while he was there and where the bulk of those season stats come from. They are, in fact, better for the games he played net for the Vegas team after the deadline. He had a 1.67 goals against average, a 9, sorry, 0.940 save percentage in the three games he played, went 3 0 0, had one shutout, and only allowed five goals against. The second point Leonard sees himself as a number one. He is going to want to play. He's an unrestricted free agent after the playoffs and looking to play for a team as the number one guy on a long-term deal. Flurry, in this training camp period, indicated he has no issue splitting the games during the round robin, but his playoff experience is quite a long resume, and he's a Stanley Cup champion. Sure, Vegas brought Leonard in as insurance if Flurry burned out, but the break removes that scenario from the equation. Also, Flurry is the franchise player Vegas built the team around. Quite honestly, in the newest NHL market, save for Seattle, who is still a year plus removed from playing his first expansion team game, not playing your franchise goaltender may baffle your home base. It's also something winning solves. Remember, it's a round robin, and I don't even care if I sound like a broken record at all. Both these guys deserve to split the four games. Finally, Dallas. Ben Bishop had a 2.50 goals against average, a .920 save percentage, played 44 games, went 21-16-4, had two shutouts, and allowed 103 goals against. His backup, Anton Hudobin, had a 2.22 goals against average, a .930 save percentage, played 30 games, went 16-8-4, zero shutouts, but allowed 62 goals against. Bishop is Dallas's starting goaltender. Let's make that clear. At the All-Star game during interviews, stars Tyler Sagan, who was the team's All-Star, went on record to say he felt Bishop deserved to be at the game, but the limited roster size prevented his selection. But don't think the teammate vote of confidence wasn't noticed by Bishop. It was a classy move by Sagan. 
The other limit to the All-Star selection is just how good Hudobin played backup. Those were career-high numbers in several categories for Hudobin. He's also an under-pending unrestricted free agent. In his 30 games, that goals against average and the save percentage is, in fact, better than Bishop's. Dallas' strength is undeniably its defensive game, but they had an exceptional puck stopper in either of these guys. In turn, head coach Rick Bonus absolutely can split the round robin with these two guys if he wants. When round two starts, it's Bishop who plays game one again, barring underperforming in the round robin, and I would be very surprised if Bishop did that. What could factor in the goaltender decision is that interim head coach Rick Bonus is still an interim coach. Honestly, Dallas doing well may allow Bonus to stay on as head coach. Simply, he is the one coach that has a lot on the line in this playoff tournament as well. In a head-to-head series, one would look to find if one team had an advantage in that over the other. And if you're looking for me to do this in a four-team round robin, to say a team does have a marked advantage, I don't think there is. The reasoning that any eight of these goalies are going to give their team great goaltending, and Leonard's addition to Vegas, having played the Central Division lots while in Chicago, puts them on the same level with the three Central teams. I expect one or two of these eight guys are going to play exceptionally well in the round robin and grab the starting job for round two for their teams. But all eight of these goalies are capable of being the guy that does it. Usually have opinions, but if I was basing whether these four teams were cup contenders based only on goaltending, well, they all would be. The advantage is weakness between the clubs remains in other areas. I am mostly excited to see which of these eight guys, and I think two of them from different teams, reach another level and secure the starting job for their team in round two. I just couldn't tell you which two are going to be the guys that do that. You're listening to Central Division Hockey, the podcast. I'm Tim Bigelow. In keeping with the theme that defense wins championships, Let's look at the defense for the teams in the round-robin preview, again, beginning with St. Louis. The strength of this defense is on its right side. That's where you find Alex Petriangelo, 70 game points, 16 goals, 36 assists, 52 points, and averaged 24 minutes and 11 seconds in ice time per game. Petriangelo's play this year is probably worthy of a Norris Trophy consideration, though he was totally snubbed from that nomination. Next on the right side is Colton Pareko. He averaged about 23 minutes per game, 10 goals, 18 assists, 28 points. Just switch over to the left for a second because Carl Gunnarsson, who had 7 points in 36 games played, averaged about 15.46, is slated to be Opposite uh, Petriangelo, Marco Scandella, who was picked up at the deadline, is also expected to be in the top four. 17.35 average ice time for him, 13 points. 
on that last side. So that gives you your top four. That bottom pairing, again, strength is on the right side where you'd find Justin Falk, and he averaged 20 minutes and 34 seconds a game, 16 points for him. On the left side, Vince Dunn, 71 games played, 23 points in 16 minutes, 16 seconds ice time. Colton Karanko, again, going back to the right side, is starting to get noticed, yet I feel he is still one of the most underrated D-men, especially at his age, and he's just beginning to enter his prime. And thirdly, of course, by Justin Falk. Again, all 20-minute guys all on that right side. The unfortunate end to All-Star Dave Omeister's year with his collapse was addressed, of course, by adding Marco Scandella at the deadline. But keep in mind, Omeister, with his nine points in the 56 games he played, also played 21 minutes and 34 seconds on average. And he was a left defenseman. So, yes, Scandella helps, and adding him at the deadline, he fit well in this defense. So it's as strong as any in the round-robin play when thinking defensive zone and the ability to transition and add points offensively. Simply, the right side is stacked. And the top six is probably top to bottom of the teams in the round-robin group, one of the better ones. And we still can't discount that taking out the 20 minutes that Bo Meester averaged this year per game is still a noted loss. But it probably merely makes it a closer difference for the other three clubs as far as their defensive top six than it was had Bo Meester been able to return to play. Should mention the seventh guy that could find his way in the lineup is Robert Bertuzzo. He played 42 games, put up about six points, and averaged about 13 minutes, seven seconds per game in ice time. So that's kind of your seven. Again, how, and they really couldn't replace Bollmeister, but how Scandella has fit in does bode well for this top six and a very good defensive group on the whole for the defending Stanley Cup champions. Maybe not as strong as they were last year when they won the Stanley Cup. Moving along, we now are going to look at Colorado again, following in the order that these teams are based in the round-robin seeding based on points percentage. When we look at the balance of the Colorado defense, there's nice. So let's look at their top four. Uh, Ryan Graves averaged 18.56 in average ice time per game, 26 points in 69 games. Samuel Girard, also on the left side, 70 games played, 34 points, averaging 21 minutes, 18 seconds. On the right in the top Four is Kale McCarr, 57 games played, 21 minutes average ice time. And Eric Johnson, 59 games played, 16 points, 21 minutes per game for him, just over by a couple seconds. Kale McCarr, by the way, 12 goals, 38 assists, and 50 points, leading all the Colorado defense. And he was a rookie. On the bottom pairing, uh, both NHL.com and myself, See Nikita Zadorov, who is a left defenseman playing his off side. He had 13 points in 64 games played, 1746 
minutes per game in average ice time. Ian Cole played 17 minutes, 41 seconds on average. On the left side, he would be one of the five, six guys. 65 games played, also put up 26 points, 22 of those assists. Kale McCarr would be my pick for the Calder Trophy as a Rookie of the Year. He is nominated, and as I mentioned earlier, he is logging 21 minutes on average a game. Eric Johnson on the right side, of course, also plays those type of minutes. With Graves and Gerard on the left side, it probably makes the best top four defense of this round robin of all the teams. Graves is noteworthy as he also was one of the biggest surprises in how well he played this season. Ian Cole and Zadaroff playing, again, like I said, on his offside, make a solid third pair. The offensive point production of the six and in-puck moving ability, I would rank Colorado both first in both categories. I will give St. Louis defense an edge in the defensive zone. The success of Colorado is the ability to transition and not be playing in the defensive zone, and that makes this group formidable to play against. The next factor is whether first-rounder Bowen Byram can play his way into the mix on this blue line. He is a first-round, fourth-overall pick from 2019 and is part of the team's training camp right now in Colorado. Their seventh guy otherwise, in addition to Owen Byram, would be Mark Barberio. 21 games played. He averaged about 14 minutes, 5 seconds per game, had a pair of assists. Because this is a round-robin format for these top four teams, there is an option to maybe allow Bowen Byram the opportunity to get in some games. And I hope he gets a look in a minimum of one of the round-robin games in this tournament, as he's a highly regarded defenseman. So that is an interesting thing for Colorado, even with the strength of that defense bringing one of their top first-round draft picks into the mix now for this round-robin playoff tournament. We move to the Vegas Golden Knights. And, of course, as I jokingly but not jokingly talk to you in the uh, opening for the show, there's a lot of left defensemen on this Vegas Golden Knights team. It's probably the best in the National Hockey League. Brady McNabb on the left side, nine points, 20 minutes played. Alec Martinez, again, 51 games played, came over from LA, 16 points, 21 minutes, 30 seconds average ice time. Move over to the right side, but keep in mind, these are guys playing on their offside. So left-handed defensemen that will be playing on the right side on their top four. That's Nate Schmidt, 59 games played, 31 points, 24 assists, 21 minutes, 40 seconds in average ice time. Jay Theodore also, and again, I'm basing who's playing on the off wing based on the uh, NHL.com's um, projected lineups. Jay Theodore, 71 games played, 13 goals, 33 assists, 46 points to lead the defenseman for Vegas in points, 22 minutes and 14 seconds average ice time per game. So he's the minute leader for that Vegas team. Now, when you look down at what would be the bottom pairing, a couple of left-handed defensemen 
averaged over 18 minutes. Nick Holden with 14 points, 18 minutes, 51 seconds average. I said John Merrill also a lefty. He played 49 games and averaged about 18 minutes and nine seconds. And probably should mention Nicholas Hegg at 38 games, played 11 points as he did put up more points than Merrill, and he averaged 16 minutes and five seconds. Those guys are all left-handed defensemen. We can talk about the two right-handed defensemen that Vegas has. Derek England, 49 games played, 6 points, 17 minutes, 33 seconds. And Zach Whitecloud, with 16 games played, 1 assist, 14 minutes, 18 seconds. As I said, they might possibly have the best left side in the National Hockey League. But it's also possible that of the six, half of them have to play on the offside on defense. Now, I have seen where a team will play a D-man on his offside, and usually it's in the bottom pairing, the 5-6 spot, not a team's top four. And then, of course, due to doing this preview podcast, I got to know Vegas team better. McNabb, Schmidt, Theodore, and Martinez, who they got from LA, all left the evening. So two of them are playing on the offside. And again, NHL.com says it'll be Schmidt and Theodore. Not a knock on that top four, but I've never seen it that disproportional ever. And I double-checked it, as I mentioned in the intro, referenced it on several sources because I thought it had to be a mistake. Holden, Merrill, and Hager are also the lefty, while the two right-handed that we talked about, England and White Cloud. And of those five, two will make up the bottom pair. NHL.com listed White Cloud as projected bottom pair with Holden. I think, personally, the veteran England with Holden is just as logical. So I've kind of marked him in the 5-6 spot. But it is as logical to say that Holden and Merrill and their average ice time this year as a bottom pair was more per game than White Clouds, for example, in addition to their experience factor. So they could dress six left defensemen. Now, if all three on the right side were playing on the offside as lefty, is there an advantage to dumping it in always to one corner because of this? I obviously don't have stats for this. But as an opposing coach, I'd actually consider it as a strategy. I know I'm going to be paying attention to this interesting defensive Vegas group as the round robin begins. Now, that they are mostly left-handed aside, it's a good top four. But this group, I think, by playing offside on both pairs, isn't advantageous. Or it isn't until somebody shares how it would be. And of the four teams, and and at least one preview that I listened to really liked this defensive group, to me it has the weakest bottom pairing compared to the other round-robin teams. This is a group I would shorten my D-bench in a tight game the quickest with if I were coaching it. There's good puck-moving ability as a group, and they definitely can add offensive point production to the offense, which Vegas is also going to need in this round robin. Overall, I'd rank them fourth defensively 
and third behind Colorado and St. Louis on contributing offensively ahead of Dallas, who we're going to talk about next. Now, moving over to the Dallas Stars, looking at that top four, on the left side, you have Essa Lindell, 23 minutes, 24 seconds average ice time, 20 assists, 23 points in 69 games. Miro Haskinen, 68 games played, 8 goals, 27 assists, 35 points to lead the Stars offensively among defensemen, averaging the most ice time, 23 minutes and 46 seconds per game. On the right side, you have John Klingberg at 58 games played, 6 goals, 26 assists, 32 points, averaging 22 minutes and 9 seconds in average ice time. He played 10 less games than Miro Haskinen and only finished three points behind him. So you can really think of Klingberg on that right side as one of the anchors. Now, the return of Stephen Johns from an injury from the prior year, he was able to get in 17 games played this year and put up five points, two goals, three assists, and was playing 17 minutes and 39 seconds in ice time. Not bad for a guy just coming back from a very serious injury. The bottom pair he sees Jamie Alexiak, 69 game played, 10 points, 15 minutes, 48 seconds, average ice time. And again, based on what uh, NHL.com says, Andre Sekera is on the right side, um, switching to his off wing, 57 games played, 8 points, 18 minutes in average ice time per game. The seventh man worth noting is Taylor Fadoon, who is a right-handed defenseman. He got in 27 games played at nine points, but averaged the least amount of minutes of any of the defensemen um, that we're going to be talking about at 13 minutes and 45 seconds. As a healthy group, and they did improve with the 17 games upon Stephen John's returns, they have a nice balance and are great defensive, defensively. They have puck-moving ability especially Miro Haskinen, who I continue to appreciate the more I see him play. And that, he is the second pairing behind Essa Lindell, who will play with John Klingberg. And we talked about Klingberg's ability to get points. Sekera on the offside instead of Fadoon balances the bottom pairing minutes for the Dallas defense overall. So what NHL.com projects again, Dallas to dress. And on this one, I absolutely agree with him. My reasoning is just how much I like Jamie Oleskiak on the bottom pair. He makes good decisions and is as solid a 5-6 guy as a team could want. At his development curve, he still has the ability to play in a team's top four in the future. The knock this year on Dallas is a lack of overall offense, not the defensive game. But the additional offense from the defense is is the least of the four teams based on this season as far as adding to the offense. So I'd rank them just under St. Louis in the defensive zone, but fourth for adding to the offense in comparison to Colorado, St. Louis, and Vegas in that order. After the first training camp base skate, interim head coach Rick Bonus of Dallas did say during the break that Dallas, as a coaching staff, looked on how to better break out and plan systems to engage the defensive group to contribute to the offense. 
you made it a priority. And I think if bonus is correct and making get success with breakouts and system changes, he may get more of a payoff from this group than the numbers were up to the stoppage if those system changes work. It's the same pointing out a weakness in any of these NHL teams. You should expect that the coaching staffs have identified it and are looking for ways to tweak it when the tournament begins. To conclude, I rank defensive zone St. Louis first, Dallas second, Colorado third, and Vegas fourth. On breakout and offensive contribution, Colorado first, St. Louis second, Vegas third, and Dallas fourth. So overall, being playoff hockey, and I also wanted to put more value on defensive zone play for my overall assessments. Overall, I take St. Louis first, Colorado second, Dallas third, and Vegas fourth. I also want to make it clear that I feel that ranking Colorado over Dallas is really by the smallest of margins. You're listening to Central Division Hockey, the podcast. I'm Tim Bigelow. It's time to look at the four teams forward groups, again, starting with the defending Stanley Cup champion St. Louis Blues. It's worth sharing that while the projected lineups in this preview podcast mirror those that can be found on NHL.com, they are not identical. I've decided to have some fun and put on my armchair coach's hat and try to maximize how a team could employ its roster most effectively, in my opinion. For this reason, I put my projected rosters up on the blog page. You can find that at centraldivisionhockeypod.blogspot.com or the link is on the Twitter account at sendivhockey. That's C-E-N-D-I-V hockey. That way you can compare them to NHL.com or other previews. Looking at St. Louis and their top six, we have on the left side, Jaden Swartz, listed on the first line, on left wing at 71 games played, 22 goals, 35 assists, 57 points, averaged about 18-10 in ice time per game this past regular season. Braden Chen up the middle and center at 71 games played, 25 goals scored, 33 assists, 58 points, 18-27 in average ice time. And on the right side, Vladimir Tarasenko. He only played 10 games before injury, but is listed with the training camp roster for the St. Louis Blues and will be uh, eligible to play. He played 10 games, was a point-per-game player, at 10 points, 3 goals, 7 assists in those 10 games, 16-10 in average ice time in the 10 games before the injury. On the second line, got Zach Sanford listed on the left side, 58 games played, 16 goals, 14 assists, 30 points, 13-43 in average ice time. Up the middle, Ryan O'Reilly is the second line center, 71 games played, 12 goals, 49 assists, 61 points to uh, lead St. Louis Blues in regular season scoring on the offense. And of course, on the right side, David Perron with 60 points just one less than O'Reilly, 71 games played, 25 goals, 35 assists, and average ice time, 18-19. That's what I projected as a top six. Now, on the bottom six for the St. Louis Blues, on the left side, Sammy Blay, 40 games played, 13 points, around a 13, or sorry, 12-34 
in average ice time. Robert Thomas, listed as a third-line center, 66 games played, 42 points, 10 goals, 32 assists, and 14.33 in average ice time for Thomas. On the right side, Tyler Bozak, 67 games played, 13 goals, 16 assists, 16 assists, 29 points, 15.19 in average ice time. That puts us at the fourth line. Left wing, I've got Alex Steen there, 55 game played, 17 points, 7 goals, 10 assists, 14.02 in average ice time. Oscar Sundquist up the middle, 57 games played, or sorry, 23 points, 12 goals, 11 assists, 14.22 average ice time. And on the right side, Ivan Barbashev finishing on that fourth line, 69 games played, 11 goals, 15 to 6, 26 points. 13.27 in average ice time for Barbachev. Guys missing from that top 12, potential top 12, uh, at center ice, Jordan Cairo, who played 28 games, 9 points, and he did about 10.53 in average ice time. Mackenzie McTechern was also not listed in that top 12. He played 51 games this year for the Blues in the regular season, 10 points, averaging about 8.57 in average ice time. Also, not included is Troy Brower, who played 13 games played, had a goal, and played about 9.28. Of course, he was injured, but is also listed as being available for the Round Robin and Stanley Cup playoff tournament. The St. Louis Blues had the highest point percentage in the West at the stoppage, and Vladimir Tarasenko played 10 games before his injury. He is back. And this team was really good in his absence. It's to emphasize how adding Tarasenko back into this top six forward group makes them even better. Well, honestly, all the attention Tarasenko has received is deserved. The top six boasts two 25 goal guys, David Perron and Braden Chen. Jaden Schwartz had 22. Schwartz finished with a team-high 12 playoff goals, one more than Tarasenko during the Blue Stanley Cup run a year prior. Ryan O'Reilly is again up for the Selkie for best defensive forward and has the ability to raise his game in the postseason. He's also really good in the face-off circle, winning 56.5% of his face-offs, which the Blues were very good as a team in. But that percentage being over 50%, he leads all the Blues in that category Second is Braden Shen at center, and he won about 49% of his draw despite. Robert Thomas solidified the Blues down center ice, and Oscar Sundquist as a fourth-line center allows this team really to play four lines effectively. Both myself and NHL.com projected lineup couldn't find a way to get that veteran presence of Troy Brower in this lineup if everyone remains healthy. That Tyler Bozak and Alex Dean are playing on this team's bottom six also shows the depth of the defending champs forward group overall. What may separate St. Louis and Colorado from Vegas and Dallas is the off offensive depth. Not to repeat point one, but St. Louis and Colorado are able to stay with other teams in this round robin if a top six guy went down. St. Louis played under those conditions prior to the stoppage without Tarasenko while remaining at the top of the Western Conference. 
Karasenko absolutely makes a great team better, and it's going to take everything for another team to dethrone them, if it can be done. Now, moving to Colorado and looking at their top six. On the left side, Gabriel Langeskog, 54 games played as he was injured a bit. 23 goal season, 23 assists, 44 points, and 20 minutes and a second in average ice time. Up the middle, Nathan McKinnon at center, 69 games played, 35 goals to lead the team, 58 assists to lead the team, 93 points to lead the Colorado Avalanche, 21 minutes, 13 seconds in average ice time. On the right side, Miko Rantanen, who played 42 games in the regular season, so he was injured even more than Landeskog, still had 19 goals, 22 assists, and 41 points, almost being a point-per-game player, and 18 minutes, 56 seconds in average ice time. On the left side on the second line, I've got Andre Burakowski there, who had an outstanding season, 20-goal season, 25 assists, 45 points in 58 games played in 15 minutes, 12 seconds ice time. At center, have Nazem Kadri, who played 51, as he was injured a bit too, 19 goals, 17 assists, 36 points in 17 minutes and 25 seconds ice time. He also is the face-off percentage leader for the Colorado Avalanche at 57%. Jonas Donskoyz, who I've got in the top six on the right side, on the second line, 65 games played, 16 goals, 17 assists, 33 points in 16 minutes and 15 seconds of ice time. Now, for the bottom six on the third line, I've got JT Comfort there. 67 games played, 11 goals, 20 assists, and 31 points, 16.44 in average ice time. At center, uh, the player that Colorado picked up at the deadline, one of them, Vladislav Nemestikov. 65 games played as 17 goals, 13 assists, 31 points in 15 minutes, 3 seconds ice time. And I've got Tyson Jost on the right side, 67 games played, 8 goals, 15 assists, 23 points, and 12.46 in ice time. It's fair to say that Nishnushkin might actually slot into the third line and Jost into the fourth line if we're really looking at the uh, average ice time for the players. We'll talk about Nishnushkin in a second. We'll go back to the left side. Matt Calvert got him listed as a fourth line left winger. 50 games played, 12 goals, 13 assists, 25 points. Average ice time, 14.05. Pierre Edouard Belmer, 69 game played, 9 goals, 13 assists, 22. The two I've got is that fourth line center and 13 minutes, 25 seconds for Belmer. Average ice time this season. And as I mentioned, Nishnushkin, 65 games, played 13 goals, 14 assists, 27 points, and 14.04 in average ice time. Missing from this top 12, but still on the avalanche, Matt Nieto on the left side. Played 70 games played, 8-13, 21 points, 13-30 in average ice time. Also did not get uh, Adislav Kemenev. 38 games played, 8 points, 8 minutes, 58 seconds average ice time. Nor 
to have Paul Wilson in there, although he was injured most of the season. And again, with the players in the lineup, we'll see if Colin Wilson breaks in, if he's healthy enough to go for this postseason round-robin tournament. He did play nine games, four points, 12.38 in average ice time. Nathan McKinnon has been nominated for the Hart Trophy. And throughout the regular season, Rantanen was out, Landis Gog was out, Kadri was out, Calvert was out, and Colin Wilson. And I should mention goalie Philip Grubauer to that list. Point is, it wasn't one guy like St. Louis and Tarasenko dealt with all year, but they battled through many key injuries and players out of the lineup this season. McKinnon, Landeskog, and Rantanen as an offensive first line is arguably the best in the NHL right now. They just have so much skill, speed, and ability to finish. Putting the skilled cadre between Barakowski and Donskoy makes this an amazing top six forward group as well. Both Barakowski and Donskoy were having great season. Demesnikov being picked up at the deadline was to add depth as at the pause, Colorado wasn't completely healthy. The forward group now, and when healthy, is just solid top to bottom. The addition of Belmar really makes this an exciting and electric forward group to watch. What the other teams have to do to contain this group in as much as possible to really is why all year long I had them as a threat to St. Louis for first overall in the Western Conference all year long. And at the stoppage, the point percentage was really close. Maybe they will stay healthy to see how good they can be all together this postseason. Like St. Louis with ample depth, Omar's for this offense. Bottom six wingers, Comfort, Kelford, Jost, and Nishnuchkin. And I didn't find a way, as I mentioned earlier, to get Nieto or Kamenev into the starting 12 group. Again, like St. Louis, Colorado has depth for a long playoff run. Now, if Caudry can manage to find a way not to get his almost traditional postseason suspension, I don't know how you wouldn't rank this offense as the best of the four top-seeded teams. We now turn to Vegas. In their top six on the left side, I've got Max Pagiaretti as the uh, top left winger, 71 games played. 32 goals this year, 34 assists, 66 points, averaging 17 minutes, 54 seconds. And William Carlson at center, 63 games played, 15 goals, 31 assists, 46 points, in 18 minutes, 51 seconds of ice time average. And on the right side, Mark Stone, 21 goal season at the stoppage, 42 assists, 63 points, playing a team-high forward minutes of 19 minutes, 24 seconds. It should be noted in 65 games played. Second line on the left side, Jonathan Marchessault, 66 games played. Another 20-goal season for him, 22 goals, 25 assists, 47 points. 17 minutes, 16 seconds average ice time. Paul Stapsny as the second-line center, 71 games played. 17 goals, 21 assists and 38 points in 17 minutes and 7 seconds of average ice time. 
that scene was also the face-off leader for the Vegas Golden Knights at 55% winning and with William Carlson at 51% winning face-offs second on the team. Riley Smith I've got on the right side in the top six on that second line. 71 games played, 27 goals, 27 assists, 54 points in about 17 minutes, 54 seconds of ice time. When I look down to the bottom six, I put Nick Cousins on the left side, 65 games played, 10 goals, 15 assists, 25 points. Chandler Stevenson as a third line center, 65 games played, 11 goals, 15 assists, 26 points. And Alex Tuck, who was injured at the stoppage but has played and is expected to be available for this. 42 games played, 8 goals, 9 assists, 17 points in 14 minutes, 37 seconds of ice time. That leads to the fourth line on the left side. I've got William Carrier, 71 games played, 7 goals, 12 assists, 19 points. Nicholas Roy at center ice in the fourth line center role. 28 games played, 5 goals, 5 assists, 10 points. 11 minutes, 25 seconds, average ice time for him. And Ryan Reeves on the fourth line right wing. 71 games played, 8 goals, 7 assists, 15 points in about 10 minutes and 8 seconds of average ice time for Ryan Reeves. I like the Vegas top six. Although I remember Pacioretty is not performing in the postseason in his last season in Montreal, where he had no goals and one assist in six games played. Having said that, last year with Vegas, he did put up five goals and 11 points in seven games played in the postseason. So it was anomaly for that one season in Montreal. He will benefit from this non-elimination round robin positively, I think. I also want to be clear. There may be bigger names on this roster now. Stone and Statsny come to mind. In addition to guys that started with the team, Carlson, Marcia Show, and Smith. But this isn't the speed team that went to the Stanley Cup Finals two years ago. Mark Stone is elite, hands down, and Statsny, who has un underperformed this regular season, does have playoff pedigree, and he'll probably raise his game in the postseason. I read a lot of previews that rated this offense better than the three central teams in its round-robin group. But are these analysts acknowledging the turnover in the forward group from Vegas's run to the Cup Final two years ago? The Vegas top six roster matches up to St. Louis and Dallas, although in Colorado they may be reminded of how quick they used to be. They seem vulnerable up the middle, and in the bottom six. Stevenson, I think, is a fourth-line center, and NHL.com projected he is a third-line center. So I did the same. You really notice Cody Eakin's absence when they moved him to free up cap space for Leonard. A year ago, Belmar played center with this team too, and he's now with Colorado. NHL.com has Nicholas Roy as a fourth-line center. They also didn't have Thomas Nilsic in the top 12, that's worth noting that Nosik will be available for Vegas when this tournament gets underway. And just to give you an idea of Nosik's stats, he did play 67 games, 
eight goals, seven assists, 15 points, 11 minutes, 36 seconds of ice time. So he's kind of that 13 forward really for Vegas. Yes, with Tuck back and Reeves on the right side, it makes sense. Um, but like Stevenson, Tuck really would be a fourth liner along with Carrier. So as I see it, and this is my opinion, Vegas has two fourth lines after a top six and a need for the top six to absolutely drive the offense. And seems a high ticket guys came at the expense of having a third line in Vegas. How weird is it to be saying I miss the old Golden Knights offense? Having looked at the bottom six groups, lines three and four, of the teams Vegas will play, I don't see them as complete. This group, more than any, will need its top six to put up the offense. Otherwise, they are asking a lot of the bottom six to add secondary scoring. And that may not be there compared to the three central teams. I might add the exception on that and someone to watch will be Nick Cousins. And I guess to another extent as well, Stevenson. Like that third line, if they can play uh, and contribute, that's going to be important. If they don't, this is where this team will have trouble competing. Now, I looked at the seven playoff games Vegas played a year ago, and that kind of supports that the top six had to generate all the offense. The bottom offense production in the bottom six was non-existent in that seven games that Vegas played, save for a pair of goals by Cody Eakin, who is playing in Winnipeg now. Finally, moving on to Dallas and their forward group. I 100% had the same 12 forwards as NHL.com for this roster, but I have made some adjustments because I'm just acknowledging this team is hoping and needing to create more offense. So, especially on the right wing, I wanted to make some moves on it. Just keep that in mind as I'm going through this. For my top line, then, I've got Jamie Benn on the left wing, 69 game played, 19 goals, 20 assists, 39 points, 16 minutes, 16 minutes, 26 seconds of average ice time. Center, first line center, Tyler Sagan, 69 game playing, 17 goals, 33 assists, 50 points to lead the team in points, 19 minutes and 8 seconds average ice time. He also had the team high face-off win percentage at 58%. On the right side, I've moved Dennis Gurionov to the first line. 64 games played. Dallas's lone 20-goal scorer added 9 assists, 29 points. 12 minutes, 59 seconds average ice time, which, by the way, is 11th out of 12 in average ice time for the Dallas Stars. As we continue to talk about this, that's something we're going to be talking about. The second line, I've got Rope Hints. 60 games played, 19 goals, 14 assists, 33 points, averaging 14.44 in ice time. Second line center, I've got Radic Faxa. 66 games played, 11 goals, and 9 assists, 20 points. 
15.53 in average ice time. And on the right side, I've got Alexander Radulov, 60 games played, 15 goals, 19 assists, 34 points in 16 minutes and 44 seconds. Now, you're probably wondering where Joel Pavelski was and why I didn't list him as the second-line center. I'll go into detail on this, but I'm just going to run through the lines. I've got Matthias Janmark listed as a third-line left winger. 62 games played, 6 goals, 15 assists, 21 points, averaging 14.37 in average ice time. Joel Pavelski, I've got as the third-line center, 67 games played. 14 goals, 17 assists for 31 points, and 16 minutes and 55 seconds of average ice time, which is the second line center's average ice time, because really that's where Dallas has them slotted in. Again, I'm going to explain this as I go through it. Corey Perry, I've got on the third line with Pavelski and Yanmark, 57 games played, 5 goals, 16 assists. 16 assists, 21 points, averaging 13 minutes, 43 seconds of ice time. And on the fourth line, I've got Andrew Cogliano on the left side, 68 games played, 14 points in 12 minutes, 28 seconds average ice time. At center, I've got Jason Dickinson as the fourth line center, 65 games played, 21 points, including nine goals, 14 minutes, 58 seconds worth of average ice time. And then on the right side, I've got Blake Plomo, 55 games played, 8 goals, 8 assists, 16 points, averaging 14 minutes and 56 seconds of average ice time. As I mentioned, I think the right wing, according to NHL.com, felt off. But NHL.com had Dallas's lone 20-goal scorer on the third line. That's Gurianov. And that's with hints, a 19-goal scorer, and basically he was tied for second on the team for goal scoring. I like Gurianov's games. It might be the biggest understatement of this podcast. I actually want to see what he can do with Ben and Sagan, their big guys. From there, because Hintz scored 19 goals, and Radulov, who also is a game changer and a point producer, I wanted to put them with Axa on the second line because it has size and scoring. Now, I already know you've been saying in your mind or yelling at me while listening to the podcast, you can't make Joe Pavelski a third line center. Well, he hasn't put up the numbers since coming to Dallas. And yes, he is a top six center. But I'm kind of trying to think of how Winnipeg coach Paul Maurice uses his third line as a shutdown line that can play against the other team's best and can still score. So hear me out. My third line had Janmark and the pest-like Perry on the wings with Pavelski to be a shutdown line to free up a matchup for the other two lines that have now, with the way I adjusted them, more scoring on them based just on the numbers from this regular season. Dickinson then plays fourth line center. He also has the lowest face-off winning percentage of the four that we've mentioned in this. Now, if you want to flip Como and Perry or try those guys on either on the right side, I'm not against the idea. You know Ben Sagan, Radulov, hints score. 
But somehow you've got to get Gurianov, and you've also got to get what was otherwise considered their third line with hints up into that top six. Making that shutdown unit will still allow you to play Pavelski a ton of minutes. Harry is good defensively as well. And Yanmark has a really good two-way game. They're going to contribute some offense, but still be able to play against the team's best. I don't expect this lineup to happen, Dallas fans. I really would like it to. When I watch Dallas, save for the power play, and that's when you notice Gurionov more, it seems five-on-five, five, he gets lost in his current line shuffle on a team that is not generating as much offense as the other teams competing in this round robin of the four teams with buys. The other thing I was considering is by making that top nine a three strong units, they should be able to play heavier minutes with a shortened fourth line row. Now, the fourth line is capable of playing quality minutes, but that top nine I created would compete in this round robin, I think in generating more offense and shutting down another team's big line potentially, giving Dallas a greater chance at winning games. Also, as they move further into the round two, where they will be the best of seven elimination series after the round robin, because nobody's getting eliminated, having that shutdown line would be very valuable, regardless of who Dallas ends up facing as they go to round two. I think the first two round-robin games will essentially decide the seeding for round two. Quite simply, St. Louis plays Colorado August 2nd. I think the winner of that game finishes first in the round-robin. They split four games in the regular season. And the better goalie may win this, but I will take Colorado's plus 46 goal differential, fourth and goals, with the six best goals against over the plus 32 goal differential St. Louis had. The Blues were tied 14th in goals offense while being the fifth best goals against. If the St. Louis goaltending steals a game, the Blues win. But if it's equal goaltending, I think Colorado finds a way to get the game winner. Also, one marked advantage is St. Louis on the power play. It was a league-best third overall, and that's without Tarasenko, who, as I mentioned earlier, during the Stanley Cup playoff run, had seven power play goals of his 11 total in the playoffs a season ago. Colorado needs to stay out of the penalty box when these two teams face. St. Louis was 4-0-1 over Dallas head-to-head -head this year, and... I expect that trend to continue. Now, Dallas has a great stat. They were 4-0-1 versus Colorado this year head-to-head. -head. But three one-goal games and two wins that required extra time. So, I just think even if Colorado loses to Dallas, they find a way to get the game into extra time. Now, the round-robin games are using regular season overtime game rules. That means 
Just like the regular season, there is only that five-minute extra time playing three-on-three in a shootout for these games. Getting games into extra time and getting that extra point in the round-robin standings is a big deal. Teams tying in round-robin points, the higher point percentage from the regular season will remain the higher-seeded team. That's an advantage to St. Louis being number one. Colorado is listed at number two, Vegas listed at number three, and Dallas at number four in the seating going into this. So in the event of ties, it's going to revert back to those original seedings. Now, what about Vegas, you say? They needed extra time in the two wins with St. Louis and lost the other meeting in regulation. So I would take St. Louis even if it needed extra time. Colorado won both games versus Vegas by four or more goals a season. I think that trend continues. So now to the second game of this round robin, which is the Vegas versus Dallas game. And I think who wins that takes third place once all the other games are played out. Now I'm going with Dallas, although the team split the two games they played. Again, Vegas needed extra time to win. Dallas didn't. Yes, Vegas has a plus 16 goal differential to Dallas's plus three. But Vegas was 13th overall in the league in goals for and goals against. And that's respectable. Whereas Dallas was 20th in goals for, but they were second in the league in goals against. Simply put, Vegas is up against the second, fifth, sixth best teams allowing the fewest goals while finishing 13th in that category. In playoff hockey, even this round robin, I'd count on the more defensive teams to get the goal needed to win more than Vegas outscoring to make up for allowing more overall. Now, can Marc-Andre Fleury or Robin Leonard shut out these guys? Yes. Coming full circle, each team has two goalies. Not one, but two, that could still win in the round robin any given night. This club would definitely benefit, that is Vegas, from staying out of the penalty box during the round robin, as one really bad stat that they had team-wise was their penalty kill was 27th in the league. That's near the bottom of the entire league. Now, as I mentioned off the top, all four teams have an exhibition game prior to the round-robin starting. And it isn't versus a team in the round-robin play. There's two games on July 29th. Colorado plays Minnesota. Later that night, St. Louis will play Chicago. The 30th, the next day, Nashville will play Dallas. And later on that day, Vegas will play Arizona. I'm not previewing the exhibition games, but you can definitely listen to the other previews of the play-in teams as those will be discussing the rosters of the teams that the round-robin teams will be playing in the exhibition game, or at least four of them. So not to sit on the fence, here are the predictions for the seeding after the round-robin. Feel free to tweet me if they are completely wrong, and throw it in my face if it's entirely the exact opposite. But I feel Colorado ends up first, St. Louis second, Dallas third, and Vegas fourth. 
So to summarize, here's the reasoning in conclusion. St. Louis and Colorado seem to have the most depth at forward and defense. Dallas has depth at forward and defense, as long as the projected players all play. There is a drop-off past the 6D-12 forwards in Dallas, as far as experience. Again, Vegas has the least forward depth of the four teams. Now, a standout performance by any of these teams' goalies will absolutely put a team over the others. There isn't really a team that doesn't have a guy with the ability to do this as well. Vegas needs its goals against Dallas to be successful, and Dallas needs to find more offense to be successful. So those two teams need great goaltending, especially to move up in the seating for round two. That can be the difference maker. I simply feel that it was a two-team race for finishing first in the Western Conference at the pause. And the round robin will reflect that St. Louis and Colorado all around were just more complete teams. Of the other two, I definitely feel going with Dallas because of the stronger defensive team stats over Vegas. But remember, I watch the Central Division teams every week, and the Pacific teams... I only watched when they played Central Division teams, so my viewing of them is more limited. All these teams, when the round robin is done, will advance to round two of the Western Conference Stanley Cup playoffs. No one is being eliminated. Staying healthy could, in fact, be more valuable than finishing first in this round robin. Thank you for listening to the Western Conference Round Robin Stanley Cup preview show in this episode of Central Division Hockey, the podcast. I'm Tim Bigelow. In the play-in preview series, they will be separated into two more upcoming podcasts. One, looking at the best 305 elimination series, Nashville versus Arizona and Winnipeg versus Calgary. The other will look at Minnesota versus Vancouver and Chicago versus Edmonton. It's getting close to being game on in the NHL.